This is part two of a two-part conversation on artificial intelligence between Religica Theolab founder Michael Reed Trice and Mark Chenin, who serves as professor of law at the Seattle University School of Law. In this episode, Dr. Trice and Chenin speak about the role of AI in oppressive systems, the politicization of technology, facial recognition, and much more. Take a listen. You know, we've been talking about issues that are, say, 20, 30 years out, right? Maybe it makes sense to just speak to a few, you know, more pressing or current issues. Yeah, let me uh, just give some background on this, though. So, you know, artificial intelligence has been used in a number of areas, but one is to describe states of the world. Secondly, to diagnose uh, along certain criteria. Third is then to predict, so predictive analytics, and then maybe even to uh, prescribe in a sense as to suggest or require certain ways of action. And, and in those in those four areas of functions, we are already having real world effects, right? So like in the area of uh, facial recognition, as you know, it's being used uh, in ways that are raising real concerns, um, certainly being used in oppressive systems in, in ways that have hurt marginalized communities, or it has the potential to do that. And that's why we see you know, outright bans among some, in some cities for, for its use, particularly in connection with law enforcement. We know that uh, predictive analytics are being used to re- review resumes to uh, for decisions about in the criminal justice system for recidivism to predict that. Those are problems that uh, artificial intelligence has raised. And then, you know, we've already talked a bit about privacy because of this power of algorithms and data really to recognize this in a sense we are now at a point where it is impossible to remain anonymous on on the web because with maybe two or three maybe four data points we're almost instantly recognizable and identifiable the predictive analytics causes all kinds of of moral complexities in the ways you're describing so what about law enforcement what about individual freedom? Um, what about, uh, as you mentioned earlier, the integrity to not have my future forecast by, you know, assumed recidivism rates that are quantitatively perhaps accurate, but may not be true in the same way that experience in humanity. You mentioned also in all of this, I mean, this is the case with technology that those who are on the margins can be criminalized and objectified long before they have an opportunity uh, to defend themselves or or to have some sort of surplus of integrity. What do we do about that in the face of artificial intelligence? That's a very, very difficult question. You know, the, the current approaches have been law so that we have these statutory approaches like say algorithmic fairness, which requires at least some kind of auditing of the results of any decision making, say like uh, insurance coverage or giving of a bank loan that use, uses some kind of algorithm with a, with a data set, et cetera. So at least we have some kind of uh, appraisal or accounting of the results of those decisions. We also then, as you know, have uh, privacy regimes, which gives the consumer some measure of control of how their information, their data is being used, et cetera. Uh, and then, you know, blanket bans on certain uses or applications of artificial intelligence. But as you can see, there are limitations with all of those. 
maybe that's a way of answering your question that it's really tough to prevent some of these abuses. And then it bumps up against views of technology. You know, like one is a view that technology is neutral. So, you know, it's really the uses to which we put this technology that's what we're concerned about, not about technology itself. But then there's this also view that technology is inexorable, that you know, because of the advance of science or maybe the market imperatives, whatever it is, that someone is always going to want to push the edge in our technology. And then the third is that, you no, know, actually, te- technology is highly embedded in a, in a society and then therefore has its own kind of politics, as you know, as we've just described it, to be used to for social control, certainly allocation of resources. It's technology is deeply embedded in that. And then given the way in which technology is developed in modern economies, modern societies like the United States, there's often a close connection, right, between, say, government assistance for development of technology and vice versa. So there is a politics to technology as well. So if, if we're really going to govern and prevent these abuses, we're really asking the, the deeper questions of how do we govern ourselves? Predictive analytics, it seems to me the logic itself is based on an understanding of what's prudent for the most amount of people. It's a utilitarian, English utilitarianism that you find also in the land laws that brought you know, thousands of people from agrarian-based contexts in England, for instance, into the cities. Like We use these kinds of what became, became laws and maybe a really crude form of, kind of predictive analytics, if I may, to move populations into places, to create socioeconomic hardships maybe for them, but of benefit to the few. And that's part of the ruse of prudence, right? That just a few actually have a demonstrable difference in their lives socioeconomically. The rest of humanity really suffers, those uh, who become more on the margin. But there's something about the appeal to prudence that's it's both self-defeating in this regard, and it's a bit of a deception. Mm-hmm. See, because of our shopping behavior, and that's well-trapped, as you know, there probably is a way to predict with a relatively degree of certainty that if, if I'm shown a particular advertisement, there is you know, an 80% chance of my purchasing it within X time of my being seen that, given the cumulative times I've seen that advertisement and all these kinds of things. And then you can immediately see how you can extrapolate that to other forms of behavior. So that's one thing, uh, this idea that you can use this kind of technology for social manipulation. And then to your point about, uh, say, earlier forms of predictive analytics, and maybe we wouldn't say not necessarily predictive, in, in a sense we're moving into prescriptive analytics when we talk about, say, utilitarian principles or maximizing utility or happiness. Those are more prescriptive in my view. But you're right to say, though, they become justifications for policies that have enormous impacts on people. And it tends to be, at least in my view, that marginalized folks tend to always bear the brunt of those sort of prescriptive decisions that are often based on things like maximize utility. In some ways, where we are is describing the describing the current state to such a degree that there's a, there's a kind of moral Gordian knot because uh, an illegal one too, because prescriptive analytics as you're describing and their descriptive use that becomes normativized, it has its own internal, its own internal language that 
doesn't like to be defeated. I know we're being somewhat vague here, but you know, what may be prudent for you or maybe prudent for me might be two very different things depending on where we are uh, socioeconomically, using that phrase, or where we are in terms of our access to the goods of society, whatever form that may take. Descriptive analytics has a prescriptive value. There's an internal logic that is always on the side of the less marginalized. What do you think about that? I'd say that has often been the case. You and I both know how you could take religious language, for example, and use it to justify slavery in the United States, apartheid elsewhere. And clearly, you and I both know that those precepts have both strong descriptive and predictive and and prescriptive uh, impacts to them. So no doubt about that. I always wrestle, and this is, you know, I've always, I've wrestled this all my life is, I think that one of the central points of Marxism is that it is, it is impossible to escape exploitative relationships that one cannot get through life without taking advantage of someone else. And uh, I have to say, there's so many ways in which that is correct. I wrestle with it if that's the only thing that is possible in the way in which people interact with one another. Ultimately, we know that artificial intelligence does some, used correctly, um, is beneficial theoretically to all of humanity. I mean, that's, that's the aspiration, that's aspirational, let's say, but, but there are ways it's been incredibly helpful. But you have identified, I think, what is also a kind of core anthropological feature, which is the ease with which we are exploitative of one another. And so will that kind of, you know, legally, will we be, will there be some sort of legal defense or legal, you know, kind of capacity for safeguarding against what could be significant exploitation through, uh, through this technological means in the future? Yeah, you know, and in, in, in that regard, you know, to the extent there are responses, I, I think the best responses uh, at this point are to have as many stakeholders, members of the community as possible engaged in these decisions about how we're going to govern artificial intelligence in, in its current applications. Again, I don't think there is a, a magic bullet. There are no true lasting solutions to this, but I, as a second best solution, I can't think of a better one because we, and, and by the way, there are proponents of this movement in all of, in a lot of as well, technology and development of technology. The idea, the idea to get as many stakeholders involved in decisions about how technology is developed and then how it's deployed. But as you can imagine, that's a very costly process. A kind of appeal to an egalitarian recognition of the need for governance, self-governance, that is more inclusive than exclusive, would mean that the, the moral onus of our collective well-being, it has to take up residence in education in the hearts and minds of computer programmers and the next generation coming out and policymakers, anyone, any of us today, really, who are looking at this advancement of technology, if we have it within us to aspire for a better world, then we all share maybe in a postmodern world, we call it that way, certainly a highly te technocratic world, we all share a moral disposition that is front porch stuff. It's right in front of us all the time. It's not, it's not tomorrow's morality, right? It's, it's, it should impact my vocation, my occupation, my career, whatever I name that. And that, I think, to your point earlier, has 
significant resonance with the kinds of religious traditions that for thousands of years have been calling on the neighbor as a non-theoretical entity. Right. Uh, and that's why I do think we, that these traditions have a very important role to play in how artificial intelligence will be developed and used in, in society. Of course, uh, you know, and I, and I know that these traditions certainly have their shortcomings as well. They wax and wane in influence given a particular situation in society point in history. And, and this is my, my sense is that if you go to work for one of the large tech companies or, or a startup, et cetera, you know, most folks I, I do think are inclined and want that their work to have meaning and to contribute. So the traditions have a role in developing and encouraging those kinds of impulses. And then, you know, then we ran into, of course, though, um, okay, yeah, it's great. We can talk about these things at a you know, small group level, but if we start to spans beyond that to a large societies in the states it's impossible to live out those moral principles because there are other imperatives that come into play you've been listening to the religica theolab podcast in the center for religious wisdom and world affairs at seattle university to learn more about the center's work and for resources to be used in local communities visit us at seattleu.edu slash the center